Hey guys, welcome to another edition of Morning Coffee. Uh, I'm back after a little delay. I'd like to apologise for that. I'm sure you're all kind of hanging on tenterhooks waiting for me to uh, get back to you. But um, as is always the way, things got a bit manic over over the kind of winter months. And uh, yeah, it's only now that I'm starting to get my life back in order. Um, so yeah, I do apologise. 2017 is going to be a much more organised me. Um, it's already off to a good start. Um, writing, I mean, the actual, I mean, the script work is through the roof. Um, I've set myself a new, pretty strict goal to be doing this every, uh, back doing this every couple of weeks. Uh, you see, look, I can even feel my voice warming up and getting into this. It's one downside of doing a, a podcast quite so early is that when you finally turn the mic on after, you know, showering, putting the kettle on, making the coffee, all the important stuff. You uh, you realise you haven't actually used your voice yet all morning, and yeah, you get a little, just a little croak at the back, at the back of your throat, while you just remember how to engage your vocal cords. It's like one of those weird things, like when you maybe you're used to living with people and you're used to working with people, and then you might get one of those rare days where you know nobody's around. You might just find yourself with twelve hours all to yourself. It does happen on occasion. And you realise you've kind of gone the whole day without talking to each other. Or at least I do. That's clearly my problem. And uh, I just find it interesting that like, when no one's around, my immediate response is to uh, retreat into my own little routine and stuff. Because obviously, obviously I love being around people. But, you know, I think when you have that private time, you're like, for me, that's like, right, I'm going to completely bury myself in writing and nonsense and little jobs that I need doing. Because... I'm a workaholic, and I enjoy doing things. Uh, anyway, I am digressing. I want to um, I want to share an odd little story about uh, what happens in the mornings around here, because each morning I I'm always the first up in the house. That's just how it is. I'm an early riser. Always have been. Um, you know, and certainly with my ill health in the last year, when I was on uh, the steroids. They were they were just playing havoc with my sleep cycle, which was already pretty, you know, gentle to begin with. I mean, um, we often joke about having uh, being like a binary sleeper. Like for me, there's no there's no middle ground. I'm either asleep or I'm awake. And so when we go to bed in the evening, you know, uh, I'm always out like a light. You know, can take Lucy uh, ages to fall asleep. Then when the alarm goes off in the morning, I am bang, just suddenly upright, vertical. Uh, you know, a standing jump is quite impressive, actually. And um, so getting up in the morning is never an issue for me. And I get up um, fairly early. So, you know, I go downstairs, I, you know, I shower, I do all the usual things you do in the morning. Uh, I also, I maybe get up, I don't know, 20 minutes earlier than I technically have to, but for me, that was like an option. I, like that was like an intentional decision. And like I said, I have no problem of actually waking up when I set myself a, a time to do it. But um, yeah, I just liked having like a few extra moments in the morning to kind of like plan my thoughts and stuff. And because I've started um, cooking my lunches, you know, because I'm an amazing chef, I'm I'm just exceptional at everything. Uh, I've been making uh, these little pasta dishes to take to work with me. And uh, that's really good if you're proactive and decide to do the cooking in the evening. Uh, if it's, you know, seven o'clock in the morning and you're like, ah, oh, damn it, didn't cook. So that gives me like a half hour in the morning to 
uh, just get that together, do my cooking. Uh, I always, you know, give a little kitchen, give kitchen a little clean each morning because again, you know, me, workaholic, cleanaholic, just grab the place down. And I'll be honest with you, like, I quite enjoy it. I quite enjoy having that little routine. Uh, but anyway, the kind of like long and short of it is I have a pretty regimented morning. And then, you know, so everything happens to a, a pretty set routine. So I started to notice like um, some odd things each morning. And it's amazing what you observe in those early moments, like long before anyone else has woken up. And my first one for me was I got used to hearing a horn somewhere, like a car horn. Uh, around the time I finished my shower. And I've got the window open, you know, air the place out. And I would hear a car horn, and it wasn't like a, a single beep. It was like a proper, you know, someone someone just pounding the horn, like a good, you know, four or five successive beeps. But also, get, you're getting that kind of like um, Doppler effect shifting, where clearly they're not just sitting outside a house, or indeed outside our house, honking the horn, like they're moving. So the first time you hear it, you're like, "Oh, I don't know. I don't know. What, I don't know what grand drama is going on out there. Maybe uh, this very responsible driver was, you know, a pedestrian stepped into the road. Uh, maybe uh, another car was acting recklessly or something. I don't know. Maybe maybe they were even just um, impatient. And uh, so I, I, you think like, okay, once I'll forgive him. Then it happened again, and. For the next few times, I noticed that every every weekday, there was this horn going off. And it started to become a little obsession of mine, because I was kind of trying to work out, who's doing this? And then, once I started to like organise my thoughts, maybe get a bit more uh, prepared, I would, uh, I would have a watch to hand. And I realised that every day, every day, Monday to Friday, at 6.45, a horn was being beeped. And again, it was always the same. It was always like four or five proper, you know, proper someone slamming that horn and, and speeding by. So, I don't know. I started to think, like, this can't be a taxi. Like, maybe picking someone up. Unless they have a really kind of roundabout, circuitous route for kind of waking... I don't know, maybe they drive around the estate and when they approach, they honk the horn gives a person in the house the knowledge that they need to get to the door, then by the time they come around, they're ready. I don't know. It seems like an odd arrangement. So, I don't know. I'm not quite at the stage of, like, uh, wrapping my head in tinfoil, but I am getting, like, a little... Not paranoid, just kind of... There's something going on here. And I could be the only person who knows. I could be, like, the only detective awake at this point of the day. So, you know, eventually, a bit of empirical testing, I know that at 6.45... This person will honk their horn. So I'm waiting at the window. Like you can just about see the road outside. And I'm waiting and I'm waiting. And 6.45 is approaching. And then it's 6.45 and 6.45 is kind of ebbing away. And I think, oh, maybe I imagined it. And I look away for a second. And then I hear the horn. And I quickly look back. And I can just see this dark shape of a car kind of just gone. Because we have a... It's not a busy, well, I don't know, it's not a massive road, but it's a fairly major little passageway by our by our estate where we live. And, uh, you know, it was enough to realise that, yes, that was the guy. That was the person doing this. And so now I don't know what the next stage is, because my thinking is, 
if this guy is just kind of just being a bit of a you know, I'm trying to keep it clean, but just being an idiot. Like, is he just doing this because he hates the people who live here? Like, it's not just us. I mean, there's people on the other side of the road as well. Like, I don't know who he could be doing this to. So I was trying to concoct this slightly elaborate and perhaps, you know, unnecessary scheme to be standing outside the house at 6.45, waiting for this to happen. Yeah, it's not really practical on a weekday when I'm trying to... uh, get ready for work, but, you know, hey, I could have done it today, but instead I'm talking to you. So, you know, the mystery isn't solved, but I don't know, maybe it's a story. But um, we do get some weird people by the house. The, um, I remember, like, late at night, we had uh, the sound of an engine revving, like something terrible, you know, like really just beasts of a roar of a mechanical thing. And I remember um, you hear it once, and and you're kind of, like, trying to sleep, and you're like, oh, just you know, just forget about it, some idiot, you know, your brain isn't fully awake for higher brain functions, which would allow you to do something about this, they're not fully engaged, and it happens again, you know, a second time, you're like, ah, I'm getting a bit silly now, and it's about the third or fourth time where your brain finally goes, oh, okay, I've had enough, so you get up, and you, so it's me, like, kind of, like, peering out the windows, trying to work out what's going on, and I kind of look out to that same road, like, the same road that goes past our house, and um, there's a bike. There's like a. It's a bike. It's like a proper. It looks like a kind of high end, kind of proper, you know, expensive motorbike. It's not some little kind of dirt track thing. It's like a proper. Oh, I don't know. Lazarati? Is that a thing? Man, I don't know. I, 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 my dad would be appalled, but I just can't do vehicles at all. And uh, the guy's wearing full kind of motorbike leathers and uh, a helmet. So, you know, he's either you know, very, uh, very uh, faithful to the motorbike look, or he believes in safety. I mean, like, because clearly if he's, you know, shooting around the mean streets of Cheltenham at two in the morning, like, he must be a pretty considerate guy. Or he's trying to hide his identity from the police. I don't know. But he's kind of just, I don't know, is it the collection of rogues near us? I imagine that if you were inclined to be racing cars, you could probably get as good a run as possible in sleepy little Cheltenham as you might do in the area around us so maybe you know he's just being an idiot and he's out late at night kind of gunning his engine showing himself off like nobody cares so he's he's kind of shooting one way past our house and then back the other way past the house and you know like I'm just waiting for him to go away and I'm watching him from the bathroom window because I'm just like oh silently kind of like shooting daggers from my eyes and uh but then he stops he goes back and forth, and then he comes to a stop at like this little roundabout. And bear in mind, there's not a soul in sight. There's only him and me, this odd voyeur, kind of crouching in the bathroom. And um, he gets off his bike, and he descends like this little grass bank just behind the road. So he he drops out of sight. And I think this is weird. What's he doing? You know, you think two in the morning. Like why and how and. And then a few a few seconds later, he's not gone long. He returns to the bike, and he speaks off, never to be heard again. And it's kind of odd because you find yourself wondering, like, what was going on? Did he just really need a slash or something? And you know, clearly, does his does the leg of his kind of motorbike onesie have some kind of outlet, a little faucet, or um, was it some kind of drug deal? I don't know. You find yourself wondering, like, you know, you could have just 
agreed to pick something up in a in that weird little hedge by the road. Also, had I mean, not long not long after we moved in, we had the rather alarming thing of um, I don't know if you're going to get woken up by kind of shouting just outside your window. I guess you you also don't want that to be coupled with the kind of little neon disco of police lights kind of flashing on the road outside your house. And um, I remember that woke both me and Lucy up. And I remember we looked out the window and, um, yeah, it was a bunch of guys, mostly in their boxers, uh, looking pretty, pretty angry. And uh, and a police officer and, uh, you know, car with the lights on, just kind of flashing something and um, trying to, I guess, kind of calm them down. And I think what we found out after the fact, or actually this is me, because bear in mind, like they are just on the street level outside our house and clearly... The bathroom, the more, I, as I say it out loud, I realise the bathroom is pretty much my kind of vantage point on the world. I'm such a, I'm such a grubby little voyeur. Um, so, you know, we're in, me and Lucy are in the bathroom and we can kind of hear this muffled shouting, you know, separated just by a layer of glass. So I kind of like, I reach up and I very quietly open the bathroom window and a kind of sound comes flooding in. And bear in mind, they're like, 10 foot away from us at most and I get the full story and about like um, I think it was after like the races or something so most people in the town are in a state of drunkenness or a state of slightly regretting being drunk and it's fairly early in the morning like it's still dark and um, there was a house share just kind of a road a bunch of lags and a guy had decided to try and rob them I think perhaps picked the worst house you could imagine and Instead of, like, I don't know, some easy mark, like an elderly lady living alone, he found four rather drunk and um, unimpressed gentlemen who decided to chase him out the road, out into the road. And uh, I think uh, they were clearly quite kind of hyped up after that and were just trying to explain themselves to a police officer who, to his credit, was like, guys, please go back inside. <laughs> like we would, And, you know, we're just kind of like, peering down from the window and a few people are coming out of their houses and the police officer's doing his best Scott is turning into like an impromptu street jamboree um but yeah no sorry those are more evening stories and I was meant to be focusing on the morning like my point being is we seem to just get some weird scuff around the house so and aside from like the person honking their horn uh you know I leave the house like half seven every morning that's pretty sound scone like I said, I live a regimented life. This is clearly how I, I cope with the insanity of the 21st century. But I uh, I leave the house at half seven to catch a train at 7.46. That's how precise I've got it down. And I walk down a footpath, um, which is quite a notable footpath in Cheltenham. And uh, notable because it used to be a train line once upon a time. Cheltenham used to have a lot of trains, as it would appear. I think we once had five train stations and I think um, around the time Dr. Beecham was massively uh, improving the efficiency of our train network or as the mm, semi-popular British sitcom of the time would suggest um, ruining the majesty of our old meandering and incredibly impractical train network um, they decided to that Cheltenham being this weird little tourist destination even then like it's never it's never been a place of industry it's always been a place of hey we found some smelly water underground it wouldn't be great if um, we all took our top hats for a walk down there for the weekend 
uh, they were like, hey, no, five train stations, that's a bit much. Let's bring it down to just one. So we're left with all these kind of weird channels and kind of gutters and alleyways kind of crisscrossing uh, Cheltenham. And one, probably the most, I don't want to say renowned, uh, but, you know, uh, is um, the Honeybourne line, which runs kind of right through uh, right through Cheltenham. And at one point, if you keep walking the length of it, you are going above the houses. It's like an elevated walkway. It's an old railway bridge, I guess. Uh, so, yeah, you're peering down on people's houses. And then it's suddenly, um, it's got a big old bridge, big old white impressive archway bridge, which is actually needlessly impressive for what it is. And um, and then it dips underground. Uh, well, you know, not, not underground underground, but suddenly you're in this kind of gutter. And it's maybe like a mile, if that, down to the train station. And um, the, the actual working train station now, I should say. And uh, it's like the world's narrowest most precisely shaped nature reserve because, you know, hugging this path, this sunken pathway, which used to hide a train, uh, there's a lot of greenery. There's great big green banks on either side. So it's a nice little place. It's also a little odd. It can get a bit, it can suddenly get dark down there. And I'm quite comfortable walking down there, but I can imagine not everyone would be. In fact, the other day, like, I was walking back home and there clearly being some kind of localized power cut or a circuit being cut or whatever but all the street lights were out and because you're kind of hidden from the general glow of the town around you like yeah it was pretty dark down there you get the most weird kind of you know you get like a super moon on occasion like the moon is not physically four times its normal size because you know we're not all being stripped from the surface of the planet by its gravitational pull but it looks gigantic and I remember Dipping, getting off a train, dipping down onto the Honeybourne line. And just something about the angle and, you know, the positioning and, and the fact we were kind of sunken, looking up. And it was just this kind of narrow window of sky up above us between the trees. And the moon was just gigantic and yellow, like this massive eye just filling the sky. And it was one of the most remarkable things I've ever seen. But um, anyway, case in point, you know, digressing massively. But I hope I'm getting the, the impression across. It's just, it's a slightly odd little place. Like, I like it, but weird things seem to happen there. I mean, I once, um, on my way into work, I managed to walk right through the middle of a crime scene. Uh, the police had cordoned off a little section, um, maybe three or four different entrances. They'd obviously missed one because I just carried about my, went about my regular business, climbed up a flight of stairs. Suddenly I'm on the bridge and I'm surrounded by police tape and, I'm like, ah, can't go that way. Turn around, can't go that way. Um, thankfully, there's a police officer there. And I'm like, hey, uh, mm, sorry, didn't mean to walk into this. Can I get out? And he's like, oh, yeah, of course, off you go. And um, I think actually, um, I think actually, I found out after the fact, I think someone had died actually, perhaps of natural causes. But I think a, a jogger had passed away uh, in the morning. Um, but um, if you carry on down the line, you get to uh, a couple of underpasses. Now, these are, you know, not the prettiest areas of the Honeybourne line. Essentially just two, two great big concrete wide tunnels that generally smell a little bit like urine and sewage. But, um, yeah, they just take you under under a road going above you. Anyway, pardon me, I'm just going to pour some more coffee. 
This is where you get the lovely foley. But yeah, there's two of them because the path kind of forms a Y shape and one one way takes you into town and the other takes you, well, I don't know, doesn't really take you anywhere really, just kind of north of Cheltenham. But these uh, two kind of underpasses have become, uh, I guess, like a little hotbed of uh, graffiti. And it's actually kind of cool. Like I've been, I always pay great attention when I'm walking through each morning because the murals change almost daily now you've like i said you've got the two underpasses and i only walk through i only walk across one of them uh, under one of them sorry when i'm going to work and the one i walk through is mostly i guess tags you know using the lingo of the street and it's mostly kind of like just people putting up their names their initials you know there's incredibly stylized pieces of like uh, calligraphy, where they're getting the name across, but it's so kind of incredibly stylized, you can't kind of read it in a weird way, you know. But hey, they look they look incredible. Like you know, the colours it's astounding. Now the other underpass is actually more, I guess, kind of works of art, and they they really are impressive, and they don't get kind of um, replaced very often. So I don't know because there's lots of different groups doing it because they keep kind of painting over each other. So I don't know if there's like some kind of etiquette here, like they let something kind of stand for enough time. I know, I don't know what the the ins and outs of it are. But yeah, like it, they change really regularly. So I'm always looking at this graffiti with great interest. It's, it's like, uh, it's a nice little treat in the mornings and they're incredibly colourful. Like these, whoever's doing it, like they're good. You know, they're good at what they do. But um, you kind of have this assumption about the kind of like... Um, the people who would be doing this, the graffiti artist thing. And I know, like, there's times when I've walked home in the evening. So it's not super late. It's maybe, like, approaching six o'clock. And they've been working on them. And it's like, it's, it's just because you'd expect. Like, they're all wearing hoodies. Uh, it's like, you know, thick smell of paint. They're kind of working quickly but effectively. Because I'm guessing, I'm guessing it's still technically illegal. Like, I, I don't know. Like, I'm I'm not that savvy. I, you know, I know I have to check in with Sim because you might be listening, but my police officer buddy might be able to inform me whether on the rather obvious question of whether graffitiing is illegal. Because, yeah, I'm saying it out loud and, yeah, it's probably illegal. But, you know, like, they're wearing a hoodie. I'm wearing a hoodie. So I'm not judging the hoodie thing. But, like, you know, they there's certainly, a, like, a, a covert element to it like they're kind of they're working quickly and just kind of get it done and then get on with it another time we came back and i saw a guy he was kind of like he had like a hoodie on but also like a like a little um bluetooth headset i could see and he was just kind of like reporting in an odd way on the graffiti it was like um because i think someone had painted over like his stuff or, or like his team's stuff and they were kind of like um He's a team, he said, like it's Pokemon Go. Yeah, Team Mystic have been uh, tagging the underpass. And um, that's right, isn't it? I don't know. I never got into it. But um, yeah, so, and he was kind of like reporting on it and just kind of like muttering under his breath. And maybe I'm reading too much into it. That's certainly what I got. So yeah, so you have this kind of like, this whole kind of idea about the graffiti culture. You have these kind of like prejudices and like you might imagine that the people would act a certain way. And certainly there's a, there's a kind of like, a, you, I got the impression there was like a kind of marking your territory kind of thing. And like someone would put up their tag and then immediately, immediately it would get kind of painted over. 
But I remember seeing this like this really, really cool thing where I was walking down and I noticed that a section of the underpass had been painted white as like a base, like someone had taken a a, a roller to kind of like cover up what was under before. And then they'd clearly begun, but not finished uh, a new tag, a new mural. And it was interesting to see it at kind of like that incomplete escape because it was all kind of like um, outlines and little, uh, little like kind of sketchy, like they used like a, like a kind of just a plain black kind of spray paint and like used to, it was like little lines. It was like when, you know, Nick's working on the rough pencils for a, for a page, like, you know, it's all sketchy because it's all fluid. You could change everything. And it was a tag. It was someone's, it was someone's name. And, um, but it was unfinished and it looked unfinished, looked very unfinished. And my immediate thought as I approached it was, oh, you know, that's not going to last. You know, because you can imagine, it's like a kind of, you wouldn't leave an unfinished piece of work to kind of mark your territory. I was thinking like, someone's just going to paint over that, over that in seconds. But, and this is the really, really cool thing. They left a note next to it, like in spray paint saying, please leave, not finished. It would have been his birthday. And then like someone else had written a, li- a little note saying, oh yeah, cool man, sorry. And it was suddenly like, this is amazing. Like I'm seeing behind the curtain. And it's, exact, it's a memorial. Like I realised that like, they're making a memorial to someone they knew. And it was like really, like odd, like really touching. Because it's like... It's in, it's in this really grotty little underpass. No one would ever think to look for it. It's only going to mean something to like this really select little group of people. But just for a moment, they were like, "We're gonna do a tribute to someone we lost." And I was like, oh, "This is, this is so cool!" Like, and and there was like this kind of honor among the different groups because like they hadn't finished it, and they were just saying like, "Hey, can you." You just leave it until we do. And then they replied and said, yeah, of course, of course. And it was up there in that unfinished state for a good little while. Like, I think it was maybe a week even before anyone came back to to finish it off. And I uh, I was getting increasingly worried about it. Like, I, I, would, I would watch it every day. And I was kind of like looking forward to walking through that underpass because I was like, I can't wait to see this this mural finished and like I hope it does get finished like I I'm so worried about someone kind of just you know ignoring the etiquette and just kind of like destroying it and then one day it suddenly was finished and it was really nice and it was like because clearly uh, the chap as it happens who'd passed away had uh he must have you know he must have been a, a, a spray painter himself I'm sorry that's the most kind of middle-class way of describing it he was he was a tagger but he was uh, yeah he must have been part of his crew himself and he clearly had a tag maybe i'm reading too much into this but his tag was demonics uh just d m o n i x and i think they'd recreated his tag and it was on this white background and it was really good it was kind of in blues it was like have this kind of like 3d scar to it but it was also slightly kind of almost like pastel so it looked kind of like faded. 
and then they'd written just just and then above it just in like kind of single line like the the equivalent of like just an artist signing his work with a little spray can they'd just written in memory of this chap and I won't say his name but they they wrote his full name and um and then they gave his they gave his age and he he, he was born in 1989 the same year as my brother and um he died in 2010 and then a load of people had signed it and it was really oddly effective uh, oddly affecting and uh kind of using the wonders of google because I'm like I said I'm a horrible voyeur I was like wow that's like a local guy would have died young. I, I just found myself thinking like that. And they've, they've written his whole name up and they, that must have been in the news. So I did a quick Google search. And yeah, like he'd, he was a local chap um, and he'd just started college and he'd gone away to do a summer camp in America. And while on the summer camp, a drunk driver just plowed into him. And... It's just weird. It was just it was just so odd, and it was like uh, this bizarre little story, this little memory to someone I I never kind of met, and now never would meet. Just kind of painted on the side of a wall in a grotty little concrete underpass in Cheltenham, and and it's odd because it all the time they were working on it, uh, it no one touched it. Like it was just kind of pristine and preser- preserved, and then when the day it was finished, um, I noted it. I looked at it, and I was like, "Yeah, this is this is kind of amazing." And then the, ne- the next day, it was gone, and another tag was put over it, full color, back to usual, and and then those tags have been replaced, and you know, and suddenly one side of the entire underpass isn't entirely new series of tags I've never seen before and they're all yellows and purples and greens and oranges and and it's like it never happened now and and at first I was like oh wow that that seemed like really disrespectful like I I kind of assumed that memorial would be up there I don't know forever I, I wasn't really thinking but but no it was gone and I was wondering like I don't know how it works like when you you do this kind of thing for a living, or you know, you're not for a living, but you know what I mean, when you're involved in that community, maybe like, everyone preserved it while it was being made, and then once it was done, it was gone, because, and maybe that's fine, maybe that's not like an insult to the memory of the guy, maybe among that community, which is always kind of like, refreshing and redoing and kind of like, pasting over what was already there, maybe by maybe as long as it existed for a moment that was enough and now it's and then it and then it went so i guess the gesture was more important than that thing kind of that little memorial living on in perpetuity but um in perpetuity in perpetuity i can't even speak but no it was oddly affecting and i was very grateful in a really, really bizarre, self-indulgent way. I was really grateful to have been able to see that. And I found it oddly affecting. And uh, yeah, it was cool. And it's just one of those things I would never have seen if um, I got up a little later. I don't know. So yeah, there we go. Little drama kind of unfolding. 
on the path behind our house. Which, oddly enough, once again, I can see right this second, the elevated section running behind our house, I can see from uh, the kitchen window right now. And the sun is coming up, which is absolutely lovely, because, yeah, I've been kind of getting up in the dark. I've been leaving work in the dark. I've not seen the sunlight for a little while. And, um, yeah, it'll be nice to actually basking it today. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, that's the, the oddly oddly emotional story of graffiti. But, um, yeah, like I said, I'm going to be doing these regularly, regularly. What is wrong with my face? I can't speak. Regularly from now on, uh, every two weeks. And I'm going to keep up that discipline because I get up, you know, every other day of the week, I get up super early. Weekends, I kind of treat myself and I lie in till eight o'clock. Yeah, which is a, which is a lion for me. That's a massive lion. But no, just gone. Every other Friday, I'm going to drag myself out of bed at a regular time, for me, you know, super early, and I'm going to record this, because otherwise I just, I fill up the day with tasks, and I don't get around to doing what I should. So yeah, my jobs for today are that I have, I'm staring at them now actually, a small mountain of books, Uh, we've got some crates of uh, a reprint of Dying to Tell, book one of Afterlife Inc., which I think is like its eighth reprint now. Like it's been, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of surprising really. You take it for granted, but that baby's been selling pretty well ever since we've been doing this really. So it's good to have that back in stock because we ran out towards the tail end of the year. Um, also, 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 also looking from the past to the future, um, Lucy has finished her lettering of the latest chapter of Afterlife Inc., volume four, Man Made God, bit of a mouthful. So if you are one of our Kickstarter backers, you will be receiving your digital download link. If not today, then uh, also today. Yeah, I'll do it today, basically. And um, I'm so got to sort out this stock, got to take it across to our storeroom. I need to pick up convention stuff for the True Believers Comic Con, which is happening tomorrow. Cheltenham's very own True Believers. It's happening up at the race course. Just occurs to me that. Our Afterlife Inc. banner tore itself in half at the last show we did in Birmingham in November, and I have yet to get a replacement, so it's fine. We shall have to live without it for one show. True Believers is very much like a gentle way to ease ourselves into the year. It's a slightly smaller show, so I think we can maybe survive without a banner for for one day. And um, yeah, and then also uh, we have the joy of having to do our company finances this afternoon because Big Punch Studios is a limited company, which is sounds more impressive than it is, but we've been doing we've been trading as a company for a couple of years now, and we're now at the point where we have to submit our first uh company's finance report, I guess. Lucy's our kind of business master. So uh, I keep track of the finances and she keeps us square with the government and we're going to sit down and I'm going to pull up my figures and she's going to tell us what we need and we're just going to submit this thing. Uh, So yeah, it's going to be a busy old weekend with the convention, some tasks. Oh, and I'm getting a haircut. I've got to tame the fro. And uh, yeah, we're seeing another wedding venue on Sunday because, hey, we foolishly decided to get married and that is already proving to be a bit of a headache because it's a cliche, but it seems as though the moment you start planning a wedding, regardless of how simple you want to keep it, things suddenly start escalating and becoming and becoming a problem. So Sunday morning, we're going to see another wedding venue. But yeah, guys, thank you for listening. 
Thank you for letting me ramble on in the morning as has become my want. Uh, we're going to be doing this properly now every couple of weeks. And uh, yeah, I'd just like to close off by saying um, if you're listening to this and you're enjoying not just morning coffee, but all our big punch podcasts, because we, we do put out a moderate amount of uh, podcasts and we do seem to have a moderate and lovely audience like you guys. Um, I don't want to be a shill, but I feel I have to say it. We have just massively overhauled our Patreon page. And if you're listening to this, there's a good chance you enjoy what we do. Maybe you enjoy our podcasts. Maybe, you know, you love our comics. Maybe you love our games. And perhaps if you enjoy what we do, you might want to consider backing us on Patreon because your support just helps us keep doing what we do. It helps make all of this possible. It's the After I think, it's the Seven String, it's Catmarang, it's all the titles we do in Extraversal, uh, it's our games. You know, you make it possible. And, you know, if you just enjoy the podcasts, maybe even just giving us $1 a month would make all the difference. Um, but please have a look at the Patreon page, and that's www.patreon.com forward slash Big Punch Studios. Like I said, $1 a month will get you a free download of all of all our podcasts, uh, not to mention access to the Punchcast, which is a very exclusive podcast which we record just for our patrons. It's only $1 a month, and it really could just transform the way we make comics and games and podcasts. So thanks, guys. Hope you enjoyed this little message from an early morning person i'm like i said i'm working on some slogans i'm trying to it'd be nice to have like a way to sign in a way to sign out but thanks for listening guys enjoy your coffee and i'll see you in two weeks time